Hey everyone, it is Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival. Welcome to podcast episode number 189. Now this episode is actually the first of a two-part series that I've been wanting to do for some time now. And it's in response to a lot of questions that I get from our New World Patriot Alliance members. Sometimes during our one-on-one coaching that I do with them, or it could be in one of the live online workshops that we've done. And that's answering the question about where to bug out to in the event of a long-term disaster or collapse. And I have a lot to say about this topic. And the first step is busting through probably the most common mistakes that I see our members making, which is what episode one is all about. Episode two is going to be giving you a lot more of the how-to steps. But first, I have to break through some of those common misconceptions that a lot of people have about where to go to when your home is no longer the right place to be. Don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the work for you and you can download a complete set of this week's show notes, including a handy-dandy little cheat sheet of the top tips for later reference. All you have to do is go to www.mcsmagazine.com forward slash 189 and download it for free. And now, let's jump into this week's episode. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Hey there, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And as you probably know, if you've been with us for any amount of time, we love to talk about bugging out. And under most circumstances, really all that really refers to is what you do in a short-term disaster scenario where you need to escape kind of the danger of the area that you're in and just get to safety. And this mostly revolves around just getting to your location, getting out of your home, getting to your safe spot, because it's really more about a localized disaster. And, and you can usually find family or available retreat locations to get you out of danger that way. But in our online survival guide that we have, we also talk about five very real events that can change life as we know it overnight and lead to an all-out collapse of our country's infrastructure. Now, when that happens, most people realize that Everybody freaks out. <laughs> we know what those the dangers change in those types of scenarios because as we talk about in our free survival guide, there are basically all of our all of our cities are set up on a three day resupply chain for the most part, generally speaking. And what that basically means is that your groceries, your fuel, all of those items that we rely on and we take for granted each day revolve around three-day resupply cycles. So if you cut off that resupply, well, guess what happens when you no longer have food in the grocery stores, fuel at the gas pumps, people start freaking out. That's why we always say it only takes three days to go from calm to chaos. Now, when that happens, other people are going to be a very real threat to you, whether that's looters, whether it's gangs, whether it's people just begging for food because there aren't enough resources there, or even police who might be tasked with keeping law and order, 
but will be forced to take stronger controls, maybe even resort to gun confiscation, as we've seen in the past. That's not a hit against police. That is simply stating that the rules change when rule of law starts to go away or we need stricter controls just to keep the people in place, right? So when that happens, heavily populated areas are going to be a very kind of a danger zone in an all-out collapse or a loss of infrastructure that's going to last for a long time. So that's why people always go into this mode of like, well, what would I do? Well, what would you do? Where would you go? If you had to think about it right now, if you had to leave your home, what would you do? Where would you go? All right. The bottom line is that if you don't have a plan, you're basically just a refugee. And we've seen what happens to refugees in other countries, right? You can look in, in like places like Syria where, where massive hordes of people are walking or driving or getting transportation to borders trying to get out of the danger zone and they end up in tent cities just trying to escape those populated areas. Um, it's horrible living conditions. There aren't enough resources for people there. They're starving. Those things can happen in a real collapse within, even with the United States. And we've seen this even in the United States. When you look at places or, or circumstances where populations have had to resort to government dependency or they have had to go into places like, you know, FEMA camps or the most notable that we, we typically think of is during Hurricane Katrina, there was the Superdome and all of the travesties that happened there with a bunch of people, uh, you know, urban environment, people being thrown in there, the crime, rapes, murder, stealing, all those types of things are very real possibilities, even if you don't live in a heavily populated area like New Orleans or anything like that. Um, we even saw even in the Northeast, dependency on the government with trailer cities, after hurricanes where people that didn't have a place to live were put up in trailers and there were formaldehyde problems, there were health issues because of it. Bottom line is you don't want to be a refugee. And what keeps you from being a refugee is having your survival plan for what you would do, where would you go, how would you sustain yourself if our infrastructure actually collapsed for a long term. And that's why one of the biggest questions we get for related to this is where do I go if I, we, we do experience some sort of a collapse or something. So th what I want to do is a two-part series here with, with talking about, with giving you real strategies that you can use to be able to make that plan yourself. And the first thing I need to do, though, is empty your glass. Because I, I work with a lot of people one-on-one -on -one for our New World Patriot Alliance with our, with our highest level members that we have in NWPA we do weekly one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm available there to work with people on their specific plans, no matter what it is, your tactical plan, your firearms plan, your home defense plan, your survival plan, whatever it is. Um, me and I also have over a 100 experts in our network to help out, but we do one-on-one -on -one coaching. We also do live calls where people can ask questions of the experts that we in our network or, or whatever. So, so, But when we're doing that, and especially when I'm working with people one-on-one, -on -one, I notice that a lot of the same things keep coming up for people. A lot of the same myths that people fall prey to about what they should do in planning out their plan B survival retreat. And so the first thing I need to do before I fill up your glass is empty it. So I want to go over the, these are the five things that I come across most commonly among people that I work with that are mistakes that people are making or keeping them from, from actually making a plan because they're falling for these myths. And when I go through, I want to go through these top five here right now. Now in part two of this series, which will happen next week, 
I'm going to give you a structure for planning out in a very realistic way, budget-minded everything for how you can set up your Plan B survival retreat, okay? But let's go ahead and start with this week's episode. And myth number one that I come across is that you need to have a bunker. Well, no, you don't need a bunker. Uh, I know, a, and this seems to be a thing that a lot of people, whether it's just a wish that people have with with that, you know, that doomsday type scenario, like having a bunker is cool, right? I mean, hell, it's, it, it brings me back to when, you know, used to Saturday morning cartoons, me and my sister used to go out there, take all the couch cushions off of the, uh, off of the, the couch and, and some blankets and make a fort and watch cartoons out of our, out of the fort while I'm eating Cap'n Crunch crunch berries, right? And pop tarts. So look, we love forts, especially us guys, right? We love forts. We love these types of shelters. Wouldn't it be cool to have a bunker? Well, yeah, it, it would be cool to have a bunker, but you don't need a bunker. And what oftentimes happens is that people procrastinate on doing anything because they think, well, I'll save up for a bunker. I'll shop around for a bunker. Well, you have to have the bunker. You have to have the land. It does get really expensive, but nonetheless, you don't need a bunker in order to be able to hide out somewhere in a long-term collapse to be able to survive and sustain you and your family. All right. So, uh, but I do come across that quite a bit. And, and I'm not talking about from doomsday prepper people. I'm talking about just average Joe and Jane Schmo out there that think that, that equate because we've, we've kind of programmed people that survival or being a prepper means you should have a bunker. And for a lot of you, that might sound ridiculous, but I'm telling you, I come across this so many times. So, and, and again, the biggest concern with this is that it keeps people from doing anything because they think they have to save up for something. Now, the five the five no BS factors that could literally collapse our, our infrastructure within our country for a long time, for, for, for long-term survival, um, I can tell you that like those five things are events that could happen at any moment. <laughs> they could literally happen today. So this isn't something you can really procrastinate on. You have to have your survival plan in place now because you never know when a true infrastructure collapse is going to happen from these five factors. I'm not going to go into what they all are. You can certainly go ahead and check them out. Some of them, there's more warning signs, but some of them are instant type uh, things that can happen that can literally change things. So, so definitely you can check and I'll put a, a link in the show notes also or, uh, with the blog post that will take you over and you can get that, you can get that free guide there. Okay. But don't let these types of things really hold you back from making a plan. That kind of, that kind of goes with all this stuff. Right. So that's myth number one. Myth number two is that you are going to go off into the wilderness and live off the land as part of your long-term survival strategy. Now, this is another very, very common one because most people know that, as we said, populated areas are going to be a threat. So you want to get as far away from populated areas as possible, right? Well, not necessarily. First of all, unless you are living already like a pioneer type lifestyle, and there are those people out there, but there are very few people that can truly live in a very remote area without any sort of other additional resources and know how to sustain themselves and their family. So one is just the, the rea the reality factor that goes into it of, of you being able to even live in that type of an area. Okay. Now part of that, and that goes in for a number of different reasons, you know, one for food, what are you going to do for food? 
you know, you can, yes, you can probably hunt for food. Uh, you might be able to garden some doing things like that. Uh, that will work out in a, re- in a remote type area if you, if you have the proper supplies for that. However, other people are going to have that same thought as well, right? So you might have a whole bunch of people. And this was very uh, common after the Depression or during the Depression when people weren't able to afford groceries. They went off. They had to find food. So they went off and people got into hunting more. They went out looking around there for, for food. So you might find that areas that are considered remote now might have more people wandering through them because people are out there looking for food and they have the same idea you do that they're going to be able to go out there and shoot deer and things like that. So, so that's one thing that food might not be all that, that easy for you to come by. Shelter is another situation that you might in the more remote area that you're in, the uh, less opportunity you're going to have for true shelter that you'd be able to sustain yourself in. Uh, security is another factor. Uh, if there are more people out there, I mean, it's hard to really, it's hard to, it's harder to defend yourself in remote locations than it is maybe in a more fortified area, things like that. But overall, I can tell you that just being in the military and having to sustain myself in in very remote areas, in, and I'm talking deserts, jungles, mountain type uh, area, woods, marshes, swamps, urban areas, all these all these different places that I've been trained with, especially in 10th Mountain Division. I can tell you that just being in remote areas, especially if you don't have resupply and, and resources, just plain sucks. It just sucks because you can definitely plan on being hungry. You are going to be cold. You're going to be wet. Or if you're in southern areas, you're going to be hot and muggy. You're going to have bugs to deal with and you're going to have sanitation problems to deal with and you're going to have resources problems to deal with. So that's why in the military we have people like we have a medic, we have other people, we have we have cooks, we have resupply, we have there are all sorts of structures within the military to sustain ourselves in even remote locations to be able to to uh support one another and be able to survive and fight back, right? Well, you're not going to have all those things in that remote location. So if you get a foodborne illness or a waterborne illness, Guess what? You're the doctor. And if you don't have the proper supplies or the proper training, that you you might not even live. But even morale-wise, you or your family, if they start grumbling about things, all of a sudden those populated areas are going to seem like they're they're more uh people are going to want them more because something's got to be better than how much it sucks right here. So so I say to people, if you, unless you are used to living in remote areas and sustaining yourself on the land or whatever, that you don't, don't make your plan being, well, I'm just going to head off into the wilderness, go hunt deer and live in a lean to. That's, that's just, that's not really going to happen there. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's the first two myths, but we do have a few more to get to, including myths about doomsday prepper tribes, done for you retreats and Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> More on that coming right up, but first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. 
Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back talking about the five biggest myths about planning out your long-term survival retreat for disaster or a collapse. And this is part one of a two-part series of podcasts, and this is breaking down the myths and misconceptions out, that are out there about what you need to do to plan for long-term survival after a collapse with where your location is going to be. Now, number one was, no, you don't need a bunker. So that was myth, myth number one is that you need a bunker. Myth number two is that you're going to somehow head off into the wilderness and live off the land. And that brings us to myth number three which is that you need to join some prepper group in Montana or some other remote location. And I do hear this one a lot also. Uh, this one actually does come from a lot of people who consider themselves a little bit more advanced preppers maybe. And that is kind of in, in that you want to be part of your own tribe, right? And I can tell you that there are communities that are already built. Uh, they do kind of center a lot of times around more remote locations like Idaho, Montana, Colorado, places like that. Um, but they're actually all over the country. And these are groups of established preppers who, who take prepping as a lifestyle choice and already have a plan banding together. They a lot of times will have remote locations where they have cabins on it and things like that. Some of them that I know of even have walled in structures. Basically, they are compounds. They are fortresses. These are people that are, are looking at the potential doomsday type scenario where you're going to have hordes of whether it's just hordes of people that are begging for food that you need to keep out beyond the walls or whether it's military law, whatever it is, people have this conception sometimes that there will be a doomsday scenario and we're going to join together. Well, that is a possible opportunity. I can tell you one thing. Uh, well, I can tell you a few things about it. Just talking with people that um, are part of these communities and as well as somebody who has actually built one of these communities. And that is one they are super expensive for the most part. Now, you you might know out there, some of you might know, and you can let me know. Well, you might not want to let anybody know, but there might be inexpensive ways to be able to do that if you truly are making some sort of a compound or something like that. We're going to talk about less expensive ways next week in the podcast for you to be able to do something similar to this, but just know that if you're planning on going off to some prepper retreat type area, that it can be very expensive to get in there. It's also going to take a lot of commitment on your part, resources wise, training wise, because you have to, when you're part of a community like that, you have to contribute to the community. So you're going to be expected to already come there with skills. You don't show up for your associate's degree in doomsday prepperism and just thinking that you're going to learn from everybody else around you. You have to realize like their first question is, why do we need you? How are you going to contribute? 
you better have, you damn well better have some really valuable skill that you're going to contribute to the community or else you're not going to be part of that community. All right. So you'd better, and, and the other thing is you'd better be of that mindset. Now I know there are many of you out there that do have that, that true prepper mindset and I'm not going to define what that is. All of you can decide what that is for you, but nonetheless, it is an us versus them sort of a thing because I can tell you that people that truly take uh, preparedness serious um, definitely see it as an us versus them. They see the rest of the 98% of the population as the problem. And you better be and, and able to very quickly communicate that you are part of the 2%, that you get it, that you're somebody I want to be around, that you're somebody I want in my foxhole, if you will. Uh, but you better be of that mindset. If you're not, don't even think about joining some of, you know, basically those, those types of established groups that are out there. Okay. All right. So that's myth number three. Myth number four, um, is more common to people. And that is that you need, um, a shelter or, and that you need to buy, that you need to buy land and a, like basically a cabin or a shelter or something like that. Well, no, you don't. Now, there are lots of places out there. In fact, you can just Google survival retreat real estate or survival retreat for sale or anything like that. And you will find that there are actually realties specifically for survival retreats. And there's some really amazing spots out there, some really great spots. So if you can do that, that's wonderful. I just know that it's expensive, right? It can be very expensive, especially if you have something that's truly off the grid, that has solar power, it has water resources nearby, it has lots of game. Go and look at some of the descriptions of these places. They're very well thought out. They, they work really well. But it's that expense that keeps people from actually pulling the trigger and doing something like that. And you know, so no, you don't need to have like basically a second house. And I don't know many people who can just go out there and have a second house or a, you know, go out and buy a, a survival retreat, which is going to run anywhere from Gosh, I've seen that. I've, I know I've seen land down to about 10,000 or so, like in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking about like a few acres in the middle of nowhere, that, but then you're not near resources and stuff like that, right? But nonetheless, you're, you're looking at upwards of a few hundred thousand dollars to truly get into a survival retreat. You can find them less expensive than that. Ob sure, you can. Uh, but just know that uh, they are going to be, so, it's going to be an additional expense. And it's, it's going to take upkeep. You're not just going to have it sitting there for when doomsday happens or whatever. And most people I know of don't have the money to do that. And again, this comes back to, well, then they procrastinate on doing anything and don't have a plan at all because they feel like they have to save up. Now, you can get financing for those sorts of things. But again, know that it is going to be a month, a new monthly expense that you're going to have that you're hedging against something actually happening out there, right? Okay, so but myth number uh, myth number four is that you need a shelter that you need to go out and buy a shelter and land. And no, you don't. There are things that you can do without doing that. Again, next week, we're going to cover what some of those are. But it brings us to our fifth and final myth when it comes to planning out your long term survival retreat. And that is that you need to go it alone. The Rambo uh, mode, as, as I put it. And actually. This isn't necessarily something people plan on doing, but I think it's just an assumption that people have that, okay, I have to plan for me and my family. So where am I and my family going to go? And, you know, especially when it comes to a long-term survival scenario, your worst option is to try and do it alone. You're going to need other skills. You're going to need other resources, 
especially when it comes to security. If you do come across other people that become a threat all of a sudden, you and your spouse or and or your kids or whatever, or, you know, just adding a few more people to your quote unquote survival team can be very, very valuable. Resources wise, it's not another mouth to feed, okay? It's going to be something that can help you get more food to feed all of your mouths that can, that can help with things like that. It can, it's going to be other people that can help you to protect yourselves from other people around. And it's going to be other people that might have skills that you don't have. This is why we talk about the importance of survival teams. And, and we have an entire course on this as well for putting together survival teams. Um, if you're a New World Patriot Alliance member, you can go in and, and you can, you can find that course in there. You can go ahead and take that course. There's a lot of great information in there about how to put together a team, how to train a team, all sorts of things like that. But this myth that you are going to go out there and do it alone is a losing proposition when it comes to a long-term survival plan. Even when you're deciding where you're going to put your retreat, um, who's going to be at your retreat, where are you located in relation to other people and things like that. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week as well. But I just want to break through that myth that you need to think about this as you doing it alone or just you and your family. And actually, the opposite of that is true. Okay, I'm going to give you some valuable tips next week that are going to talk specifically about that. But those are the top five myths that you should not fall prey to when it comes to planning your long-term survival retreat. Again, episode two next week. Stay tuned for that because I have some real strategies you can put to use no matter what your budget, no matter how old you are, no matter what it is. You're going to be able to, you're going to feel a lot more confident after next week's podcast. All right. So stay tuned for that. And until then, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.